So you can turn to Revelation chapter 22, and you can turn there confidently because it's very easy to find. It's at the very end of your Bible. I'm not asking you to turn to Habakkuk or something that's a little more challenging to find. You can go there quickly and confidently knowing that you know exactly your way through your word. And while you're doing that, I will open us up in prayer. Lord God, thank you so much for this time, Father, that we can just gather. Lord, we have a beautiful sanctuary, a beautiful church, Lord, to gather in today on a very beautiful Sunday morning. And we're blessed people, Father. You have poured out your provisions upon us, Lord. You've saved us, Father, from, um, from death, Lord, the, that second death that we have read about in this book. Lord, you have came into our lives and our hearts and you've changed us from the inside out. And Lord, it's a work that you're continually doing. We're not there yet, but Father, uh, we know that you're working in us. You're going to finish the good work that you started. And Lord, we're grateful for this body, these believers who have gathered together today to set time aside, Lord, to just enjoy, Lord, what you have for us today in your word as we finish up this amazing book, Father, Revelation. It is truly your revealing of yourself to us, to man. So we thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for the fun that we've had going through it and the seriousness, Lord, of, of going through it as well. So Lord, um, speak through me, Father, to the hearts of the people today, I pray, and may you be magnified in it. And we ask this in your name, amen. Well, what a blessed book. Again, I've mentioned to you many times, it's my favorite book of the Bible. It is exciting. It makes you wonder. It gives your imagination just time and distance to just go crazy as we try to picture the things that we've studied in this book and that the Lord has revealed to us. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. The very title or the very name of the book itself is Jesus basically saying, I'm revealing myself to you, to the church, to mankind. It's not cloak and daggers and, and hidden riddles or mysteries, as we've said before. It's literally God revealing himself to us. And so today, chapter 22 is that chapter. It's a continuation of chapter 21. And today we're going to see Jesus speaking to us uh, to just basically reveal to us, the church, his love for us and what he has in store. But again, it's a continuation of chapter 21. So to get us up to speed uh, and so that we can merge right into the chapter, we kind of have to go back and remind ourselves what happened in chapter 21. Well, you remember, John saw a new heaven and a new earth. And as we talked about before, the new earth we understand. We're going to read uh, what Paul has to say about this earth, how it's, it's cursed, quite literally. The fall of man has, had done that. And so we are living in a cursed world. It's fallen, and you wouldn't know it today if you went out to the coast to see this beautiful sunny day and the beautiful waves crashing up against the rocks. You would think, it looks great to me. But could you imagine what it must have been uh, before the fall? There's going to be a time where all of this is made brand new. 
John sees a new heaven and a new earth. So the earth, we understand it's cursed, but the new heaven, a new heaven, we talked about that too. And the created, the creation word there in the Greek, what we discovered was that Jesus will actually create a new heaven and a new earth, literally, quite literally, from nothing. In other words, it will be new of its kind. It's not going to be a dusted off, polished up earth that we know today. It'll be something that you and I can't even recognize. Brand new. A brand new heaven. And that's exactly what the Lord has done in our lives, hasn't he? The Lord says that he uh, restores and he makes new. He made you a new creation when you accepted him into your heart. And you've probably experienced the newness that he is working in you right now, every single day. He's working new things out in you. He's bringing and purging out the old garbage and, and he's, he's restoring you with the newness of himself. And so great picture there. Also too, John sees the new Jerusalem, the new city. We talked about the new heaven and new earth, but John also said that there was a new city, the new Jerusalem, and how amazing that is and how enormous it is. We kind of got into some numbers uh, on that because we're actually given the blueprints. God gives us the blueprints in distance and we translate to our time. And what we discover was that the new city, Jerusalem, is so enormous, it would literally go from Crescent City, California, or Brookings, Oregon, and it would take you all the way to perhaps what we estimated was the border of Nebraska and Colorado. 1,500 miles approximately wide, and 1,500 miles deep, and 1,500 miles tall. Three-dimensional cube, this beautiful cube coming down from heaven it doesn't say it's set place on earth. It says that it's come down from heaven and somewhat looks like it's suspended there. Twelve foundations made of jasper, otherwise made out of diamond. And there's 12 gates, three on each side. There's 12 foundations. And John is seeing all of this before him and he's pinning it and he's writing it down and recording all of it. And so that is what John sees. And he also mentions, too, that there was no more sea. And we talked about how ah, that kind of, in a way, ah, kind of bums us out. Just had Thursday teaching down at the beach and the waves crashing in the ocean. Could you imagine no more sea? But John actually writes it down like it was a good thing. And we talked about how it would make sense in that regard because where was John when he wrote this book? He was on a prison island there in the Aegean Sea. Quite literally, the sea was his prison, being on that island of just uh, desolation, barrenness. But that's where he saw this amazing vision that God, the Lord, revealed to him and was able to record for us. So he sees a new heaven, new earth, unrecognizable, new of its kind, created out of nothing, just like this earth was in the beginning. This new city, Jerusalem, coming down, being suspended, made of diamonds, its foundations, 12 floors, foundations were of different uh, rubies and amethyst and precious stone. Jesus himself illuminates it with his glory. Could you imagine being John seeing and witnessing this? 
talk about blown away. Our imaginations can't really comprehend it. We kind of try to get a picture, but it's just too amazing. That leads us into our chapter today. Chapter 22, verse 1. John continues this thought of and this explanation of what he is seeing. He just saw this new city, this new diamond giant cube, three billion square mile diamond come down. And he gives us a little input on what he sees. Chapter 22, verse one. And he says, and he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the lamb. And in the middle of its street, and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. A couple of things we got to pull out of that verse. First of all, we see the tree of life is reintroduced. When was the last time we saw the tree of life? all the way back to the beginning of humanity. It's interesting to me that at the beginning of humanity, we see the tree of life, and here all the way at the end of time, we see it reintroduced. In the Garden of Eden, chapter two, you'll read where the tree of life was literally, God created a garden, and he put the tree of life in the midst of that garden, and man was to eat of its fruit. But there was another tree put there too. What tree was that? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And people say, well, why would God do that? Remember that one they weren't to eat of, they weren't to touch. And what we've discussed before was that man requires a choice, love requires a choice. There had to be a choosing there. If there was no choice, then you know we would just be robots and we would just always just have to do what God says and we would just have to love him. But that's not how the Lord works. He gives us a choice. He makes us choose and decide. And that's exactly what we, what we see there in the Garden of Eden, all the way back to the book of Genesis. The very beginning of creation, the very beginning of humanity, there's the tree. But then as you know what happened, the fall of man. Adam uh, kind of cast us into uh, a, a fallen state. He took creation with him. Where has the tree of life been? That's a good question. We would put that into the category of God's business. We'll just drop that right there. We don't know, but we see it appear again at the end of time. It's almost as though it's been transplanted now into this new city, Jerusalem. And what does it say? It was in the middle of the garden but now, where is it? It says it's in the middle of its street. On either side of the river. And this tree bears 12 fruits. Each tree yielding its fruit every month. So it appears that every month there's a new fruit that appears. And we get to partake of that. And then next month... We, we're not going to get tired of that fruit, but there's a new fruit. Oh, cool. We'll take that too. Are we eating in heaven? Oh, I think so. I'm excited about that. How many people love food here? 
I would hope every hand goes up. You got to have it to live, right? But I mean, there's people that just like eat to live and don't really care. But then there's people like that love food and really get into it. I love the food I like. I don't like food that looks weird to me or that I don't like. And people are like, well, you've never tried that. Well, I know, but it just looks like I wouldn't like that. So I'm not going to touch that. This fruit's going to be different. We're going to eat of this fruit. And we're going to partake. Jesus did in his resurrected, glorified body. He ate, didn't he? Remember, he called out to them. He said, hey, have you caught anything? No, no, they haven't. And remember, they came and he's in his glorified body. But what did Jesus do? He made them breakfast and he ate with them. He's in his glorified body. He could walk through walls and he could walk through doors, as we're told. As the disciples were gathered, the doors were shut. We've pointed that out many times, and it just said Jesus appeared. In other words, why would they make such a big deal in the Bible about the doors being shut? It's because he was in his glorified body. He walked right through that wall, but yet you could touch him. You could feel him. Thomas did that. He touched the nail print, and he put his hand in his side, and Jesus could eat with them. We'll be eating in heaven. We'll be partaking of these fruits that are put every, every month, a new fruit, this tree of life we'll be partaking in. It'll be glorious. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. What do we need healing from? Remember last chapter, we taught there's no more pain. There's no more sorrow. All things are made new. There's no more depression. There's no more backache. No more bad knees. What do we need healing from? These are the times where you have to go back to the Greek. What does that word mean, healing, in the Greek? It's a word I don't know if I can pronounce right, but it's therapeion. And what it really means is there's a couple of meanings to that word in the Greek. It could mean to restore back to um, health. It's where we get our word therapeutics. But did you also know that there's a deeper meaning in the Greek of that word? Quite literally, it means to serve or worship. Isn't that interesting? Some would believe that by partaking in having these leaves or partaking of these leaves, the healing would actually increase our quality of living in that realm, if you will. But also, what are we going to be doing in heaven? We're going to be worshiping Jesus constantly. We are going to be worshiping him nonstop. We'll never get tired. We'll never grow tired of that. We'll be worshiping and we'll be serving him as well. Get into that in a moment. Verse three, and there shall be no more curse. We talked about the curse. When Adam fell, he took humanity with him and he took creation with him. We live in a cursed world. Again, you wouldn't know it by looking outside. It looks so beautiful, but this is all we know. This is all we see. We have no idea how amazing it must have been before the fall, before the curse on this world. I like what Paul says. Turn with me over to Romans. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, and I, I think there's just something very special in this passage for you and me. 
as we begin there, Romans chapter 8, we'll start there in verse 20. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption, or in other words, decay, into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. But not only that, we also, who have this first fruit, the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Doesn't that encapsulate where we're at right now? Even the earth or even creation was subjected to futility, this curse. And it says there that even creation groans. Oh, creation groans. For, to be renewed. And then it goes on to say that even you and I, in the deepest parts of our hearts, even we internally groan, sometimes externally. My back, oh, oh, my knees, whatever. Whatever's ailing you, we groan. Lord, I can't wait for my new body. You ever been there? We groan within ourselves, but it's deeper than that. It's really within ourselves, we, we have a hope. And it's not a hope that we see. It says right there very clearly, and it makes a lot of sense. We don't hope for things we see, because if we see, it's not hope. It's something we can't see yet. Well, what don't we see? Well, we don't see this new heaven and new earth where we're going to be spending eternity. We don't see this, this new Jerusalem, this new diamond city being lowered, suspended, waiting for us to come and go at our leisure anytime we want. And we're free to go and free to be there anytime we want, especially in those times when it's time to go and worship our triumphant King Jesus. Anytime, can you imagine? Our brains can't comprehend how awesome this is going to be. But we can't see it yet, so we hope for it. And the most inner parts of our hearts yearn. We groan for that hope. But that's what I want to leave with you in that passage is what? Hope. That's what you and I have. You and I have this hope in us because we know these words are faithful and true. And we look forward to that time. And we feel and sense that it's near, but we're just not quite there yet. We're waiting for God's timetable to finally enact these events, and we're going to be part of it in a very glorious way. See, if you've been going through this book with us, you know something that the rest of the world doesn't. You are considered a subject matter expert now. Did you know that? You guys consider yourselves experts in anything? Your field, perhaps, or your hobbies, whatever it is. But if you've been going through this book and studying with us, guess what? You know more than the average person out there who hasn't. You know something that the other persons know, and that is the rest of the world is just going through life today. 
and they're being bombarded with all the lies and all of the things that the enemy is throwing at them, whether it's political or cultural or whatever, and people are just meandering through their days, and they're just trying to figure out what's true, what's not, what's wrong, what's right, what's up, what's down, and they don't know. But guess what you and I have? Hope. And we have the truth. And the Bible tells us, Revelation specifically says, the words in this book are faithful and true as we have already seen and will see again later in this chapter. So we have the truth, they're faithful, and we have hope. Why? Because there's things out there that's coming in our near future that we can't see yet, but we have a hope that's burning in our hearts, keeping us focused. What does it say there? We hope for what we do not see. We eagerly wait for it with what? Perseverance. Perseverance. We persevere. Through what? Well, through the hard stuff. Remember, we're told we're going to have troubles and trials in this life. We're going to have tribulations, plural. So you feel like you're coming out of one trial. You're about to go into another, and you got a little breather in between. Thank you, Lord. Oh, oh no, another one. Ah, here we go. And we got to persevere through these things with perseverance. But what are we looking for? What is it all about? It's about that hope that's burning inside of us. Oh, Lord, come back. I'm groaning. <laughs> Please, Lord, come back and rescue us. And we do that with each other. We sharpen one another with these encouraging words. Lord's coming back. He's coming back soon. Amen. Back to our text, back in Revelation. There shall be, shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. Oh, we get to serve the Lord. Those talents, those interests that God has instilled in you you are very unique, so am I. There's things that I just love to do. There's interests that you love to do and partake in. But do you ever notice that you just never really get to be satisfied and really do them with the satisfaction at the level that you really wish you could? Why? Well, because we got jobs. Uh, work gets in the way. We have time limitations because we just never have the time. It's like you look at your hobby or you look at your interests or you look at whatever and you're like, I don't even have time to dive into that right now. We're constrained by time, obligations, and various things in this life that we just don't really fully. And when we do, it's like, oh, it's so, oh, okay, I got 20 minutes. Maybe I can do this or write this song or, or play the guitar or whatever it is that you do that God has instilled in you. Guess what? Someday... Those limitations, gone. Time, gone. No more mortgage. That got burned up. All of that's gone. No more worries. Guess what? Now we can seriously focus on serving the Lord, and it's going to be serving him through the interests I truly believe that he has instilled in your heart and your desires and, and your hobbies or whatever that interest is that you have in your heart and in your soul, you're going to be able to serve him through those things. That's eternal, you guys. That's eternal. However that translates in heaven, it's going to be glorious. Our minds can't comprehend. We can't get there. 
but we know it's going to be awesome, and we know it's going to be good. We'll be serving him forever. Verse 4, and they shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. I'm going to see his name on your forehead, and you're going to see his name on my forehead. I'm probably not going to see his name on my own forehead because I can't see my own forehead. Neither can you. But we'll see it on each other. How glorious will that be? We belong to him. And he will reign and, and be with us forever. We'll, we'll rule and reign with him, serving him, worshiping him. Glorious. Verse 5, And there shall be no night there, they need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Don't need the sun anymore. Our warmth and our illumination will truly come from Jesus himself. How awesome. Can you imagine that? You think the sun is bright. Can you imagine the glory of God just illuminating that giant three billion square mile diamond with all the, it's just, you, you, can't, you can't imagine it. But that's exactly what's gonna happen. And what does it say there? Forever and ever. Can you just stop for a second and just think about that phrase? If you really stop and think about it, we've talked about this before, I can drive myself crazy. I'm like, okay, forever. What happens after that? Oh, more ever. Yeah, but then after that, what's Oh, more forever. It, you just, it, it's never ending. It never will end. And you think, well, aren't we going to like get to a point where we've figured it all out? No, because we'll spend eternity understanding and learning the depths of our Lord. He's so deep, we can't even imagine it, but we, we'll get to spend eternity finding out new and glorious things on a constant, regular basis. For how long? Forever. And then when that ends, forever again. More forever. It just keeps going. Wow. For eternity. Verse 6, then he said to me, these words are faithful and true. What did we just say a moment ago? They're faithful and true. We saw this same phrase used last chapter. And why is that so important? Remember the recipients of this letter. The recipients of this letter, these, this letter was going out to the seven churches. The new church, the people were being persecuted by the Roman Empire. There were gruesome things happening to them. Physically, quite literal, gruesome things that were happening to them. This would have been beyond belief. And what does the Lord say? It's not too good to be true. I know what you're thinking. Now this is too good to be true. Look at us, they would say. Being persecuted, dragged off, beheaded, dipped in wax and set on fire, quite literally. This, what you're saying, John, no, it's too good to be true. And we sit here today in our hardships, and we think we got it bad compared to them. But yet, our struggle is still real. Our pain is still real. Our trials and our persecutions, they're real to us. 
And we sit here and we read this and we this is too good to be true. But it's not. It's faithful and true. That's what we're reminded. These words are faithful and true, and the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. Jesus is speaking here. Watch this. Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. That's the title of today's message. I am coming quickly. I am coming quickly, the Lord says. And we kind of misinterpret that word quickly because we think of quickly in our time frames and the way we observe time. Quickly, we thought, well, quickly then it would have been in John's day, right after he wrote this book, or for sure within that century. But man, Riv, it's, it's over 2,000 years, quickly. What is, then what does quickly mean? We're told in 2 Peter that a 1,000 years is as a day, and a day is as a 1,000 years to the Lord. In other words, he's outside of time. So technically, he's only been gone for a couple of days. To us, it's 2,000 years. Lord, come quick. He says, I am. In other words, what it means is when these things begin to unfold, these events will happen very rapidly. Now, it may take a while to, you know, get these things in motion according to God's time frame. To us, it seems, oh, it takes forever. We're groaning, Lord, come back quick. He says, but wait, when these things start to happen, they're going to happen with such rapidity. It's going to be so quick, you're not even going to believe it quickly. It's kind of like, does anyone fly here? You ever flown? Sure. We travel. We fly. You're in the airport. You get to the terminal. You're sitting there. You've already checked in. But now you're sitting here, and now you're waiting for the, the plane to board. And you're sitting there, and you're like, plane's right there. What's taking so long? And you look behind the counter, and there's no one there. And you're looking at your clock, and it's like, yeah. If the plane's going to start taking off when it says it's going to take off, then shouldn't something be happening? But you sit there, and you wait. And uh, you eat your Cinnabon. And you chase it down with Starbucks coffee. Man, they're getting plugs, aren't they? I'm not even getting paid. But it is true. We're sitting there. We're waiting. Then finally, someone comes. Okay, everybody, uh, we're going to start boarding. And as they start to board, you know, it's like you're, you're waiting and everything. And then they disappear again. Where did they go? They went be between those two doors that, like, nobody knows where they go after that. It's like this secret little chamber that airport people get to go into, but we can't. Then they come back out, and they start boarding. And now it's the first class people, and they all get to go first. And we're sitting there going, okay, I'm not first class. Because by the time I board, they throw me so far in the back, they don't even want to look at me. They just say, yeah, get on and hurry up, you know. But so this whole boarding thing, it takes forever. And you're just like, okay. And it's like, I'm about 
things are really going to be happening quickly soon, but when? And so finally, everyone's boarded. And you're sitting there, the, the pilot gets on, and he starts talking to you. We know you don't have a choice when you're flying to wherever you're flying. But we still want to thank you for choosing our airline. And uh, stay seated while the seatbelt light is on, and don't move about the cabin until we tell you. And we're out. And you're sitting there, and you're waiting. And then you're looking, and you're seeing your bags being very delicately handled <laughs> on the conveyor belt as it's put into the bottom of the plane. And you're looking out there and you go, oh, there's my bag. Oh, it dropped 17 times. <laughs> and uh, so they finally, so they're, they're loading your luggage and you're sitting there looking out the window, okay, fine. And so then the door closes and then it starts to go into reverse and you're like, okay, here we go. We're moving now. And you're, you're, ta you're backing out and then you begin to taxi. And so you're taxiing and, and then you have to stop, why? because there's 72 airplanes in front of you that are making their way to the runway as well. Apparently, all of a sudden, at this giant airport, only one runway works, <laughs> only when you fly. There's 72 runways, but only one is being utilized, apparently. And so that process takes forever. Oh, come on, Lord, please. And then finally, after all of that, your airplane gets onto the runway, and the pilot turns the airplane, and the nose is facing down the dotted line, perfectly centered. Then what happens? As you're sitting there, and you know what's happening because pilots are doing their checkoff lists, and what you feel is like, what do you feel? You feel the RPMs of the jet engine starting to, it's getting louder. And you can kind of hear and feel the engines like revving up. And, it's, and it's, you just hear the pilot just like adding power. And once all those engines, man, the plane's just shaking. You're sitting there shaking in your chair. And you're looking at, and you got your coffee. And it's just, and you just feel it, right? And you're just like, oh, something big's coming. Man, you're just waiting for that pilot to let his foot off that brake. Because when he does, something cool is going to happen very quickly and man he does he gets those he gets those engines up to the proper rpm and then man once he's got all four of them yep they're light up yeah we're a go boom foot comes off the brake what happens and you feel the g-forces in your chest and it's like that's a cool feeling and then you start seeing things go by you faster and faster and faster and faster and as it does guess what all of a sudden whoop, you're in the air and before you know it you're traveling at about five, 600 miles an hour. All of that is happening very quickly once it starts, but it took forever <laughs> to get there before that. Man, that's like life, isn't it? It's like we are in airport terminal life. Before we came to know the Lord, we're walking through the terminal, and we are, we're, we're looking at this. Is that true? I don't know. Are those donuts true? No, there's lies. Those are lies. Stay away. And we go and we try this out. We dabble there. We go into the tourist traps, and we buy whatever trinket, and we thought that was going to bring us joy, but it didn't. It was passing. It's like, oh, now we look at it and go, just toss it, or garage sale. That'd be cool. Free. We don't care. We go into this place thinking that was going to bring us joy. Remember the Cinnabon? 
oh, sin is fun for a moment. But then it had its consequence. And we regret that. And then we wash it down with Starbucks, and that gets spilled on us anyway. And we're going through life, and we're looking for the right gate. Narrow is the gate. We're looking for that gate. We're looking for the narrow one. And then we finally get to what, you know, all these gates were offering truth and all these different options, but we finally find the narrow gate. And we are sitting there, and we begin to see things happen. As we're waiting, we begin to start to see things happen uh, in people's lives around us. We're affected by those things. Israel becomes a nation in 1948. That's huge. Things are starting to take place, like prophetically, as we are sitting there learning and waiting and observing. And then finally, guess what? We board the aircraft. We've made a decision in our life that, yes, this is my flight. And we get on the airplane of salvation. And then we get there, and guess what? There's more life to live. There's more waiting. There's more trials. There's more stuff that's going on in our lives that we have to be exercise patience, but we also have to exercise faith as well. But you know where I see us right now in life? I see us on the runway. I see us, the nose of the plane is facing down those dotted lines. I see us sitting there like this. <laughs> you guys feel that? This is gonna be good. Oh, those engines are revving. Are they not? Hello, the events in this world right now? Has it been turbulent? See what I did there? <laughs> Has it been turbulent the last few years in your life, in the life, our lives, culture, society, politically? Yes, it has. And we're sitting there like, okay, these good things are coming. Hey, guess what? When these things unfold, it's going to happen quickly. And I see us right there waiting. As soon as that pilot lets his foot off that brake, we are out of here. Amen? Yeah. On that plane of salvation, Jesus is coming back for his church, and you are the church, so am I. Why? Because we realize we're sinners. We realize we needed a Savior. Jesus is that Savior. And we understand what he did on the cross for us. God sees his son's blood and it obliterates every trace of sin you've ever sinned. He can't remember it. That's grace, you guys. And that salvation is free. And it's a gift to us if we just only say, Lord, save me, like Peter did. Peter reached up and he said, Lord, save me. Why? Because he knew he could. And he knew he would. Things are going to happen very quickly. And they already are. We're feeling it. And we're sensing it. Jesus says, I am coming back quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of this prophecy, of the prophecy of this book. Blessed are you. That's a blessing to you and me, a promise. We are blessed people because we've dived into this book so deep, as deep as we can go. And we believe every single word. Why? Because they're faithful and true. Verse 8. Now I, John, saw and heard these things, and when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. Again, John, didn't you just do this in chapter 19? 
Well, you did it in chapter 19, and what did the angel tell you? See that you do not do that. Don't worship me. I'm your fellow servant. Worship God. And what does the angel tell him? Then he said to me, verse 9, exactly the same thing. See that you do not do that. For I am your fellow servant and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. We can't too be, be too hard on John here. Remember we talked about this, how awesome and amazing and how powerful. I can't even put it into words. I don't have words for it. Our minds can't comprehend how amazing and powerful these angels are. If you and I were in the presence of one of them, we would just fall on our face too and probably do the exact same thing because of their awesomeness. They're in the presence of God daily. And God sends his angels as messengers to give these amazing prophecies and insights. And John's doing the best he can after witnessing and seeing all of the things that I've described to you this morning, that our imaginations are trying really hard to keep up. He's witnessed all of that. And in being overcome by that amazing vision and in the presence of this fearful angel with the power to just obliterate, remember God sent one unnamed angel to go get Satan? Okay, the rival of all humankind throughout all of time, not just us, but other entities that we don't even know about in heaven. Remember the war that broke out? Okay, the one who's responsible for all of that, God said, hey, buddy, you're not doing anything. Grab that chain, go get him. It's time. One angel, unnamed. We're not even talking about Michael or Gabriel. An unnamed angel went and grabbed this Satan with one hand, because the other one was holding a chain, bound him up. So we can't be too hard on John here. He's like, oh, and he just falls down, worships. And the angel, rightly so, he says, hey, don't worship me. You worship God. I'm your fellow servant. But also too, well, yeah, but he did it twice. Come on, didn't he learn his lesson the first time? Did you ever make the same mistake twice? Have I committed the same sin over and over again and repeated that? Yeah, it speaks to us on a, de a deeper level too, even personally. I've messed up the same way many times, but it's because of God's grace. He forgets that first time. Remember that? We just talked about that. Oh, Lord, I messed up again. You did? When'd you mess up last time? I already forgot. Oh, yeah, because remember the, the blood that was shed by my son on the cross? Yeah, that obliterated that. So what are you talking about? Amazing glorious. Verse 10, and he said to me, do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. Oh, another reminder. Behold, I'm coming quickly. The time is at hand. The time is near. Daniel got the exact opposite instruction from the angel. What did the angel tell him in chapter 12? He says, shut up the words of this book. But John, he's told, do not shut up the words of this book or its prophecies. Why? Why does Daniel get a different instruction? Because Daniel's events had to go through centuries of our time to unfold. But John, these events to him are literally at hand, about to unfold even to us, even to you and I right now. 
Verse 11, he who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he who is holy, let him be holy still. What it's saying there is if you're living a life that's unjust, if you're living a life that's filthy, and you read and hear the words of this prophecy, and you see that Jesus is revealing himself to mankind, and you see the goodness, and you see the, the prophecies unfolding through scripture, and you see that John sees this vision of a new heaven and a new earth and a new city, Jerusalem, and you see all of these things, and if that does not convince you to change your ways, what will? Well, I, yeah, I mean, these things, I don't even, how do I know it's true? Because God told you it was. We just read that. These sayings are faithful and true. It's God's truth. After all of the things in this book that we've spent time going through, if this book doesn't convince you to be just and to stop your filthy ways, it says then, remain filthy. Remain unjust. But to the righteous, be righteous still. Right? To the righteous, be righteous still. He who is holy, be holy still. How does this book impact you? Do you see it and believe it for what it says? I believe everyone in this room does. But there are those that we speak to that, eh, you know, I don't know. It's an old book. It's antiquated. Eh, you know, I mean, it sounds too good to be true. Well, right, God knew that. That's why he said these words are faithful and true. Specifically twice, but probably more so than that. He knew you were going to say that it's too good to be true, so that's why he tells you it's faithful and true. So now what? Well, I, I don't know. And they have their reasons and their, their excuses that they come up with. But you and I see this book very differently. This is not a book that satisfies our curiosity for fulfilling prophecies. We take it deeper than that because we see it for what it really is. It's a triumphant Lord who will reveal himself in mighty ways that we can't even comprehend. And he's our savior and he's, going, he's revealing his, himself to us, but also too specifically in this chapter, his love for his church, for you and me. That's how we see this book. And we receive it in a way that's holy and we receive it in a way that's righteous. And we'll continue with that heart to be righteous and we'll continue to be holy. Praise God. Jesus speaking here, verse 12. And behold, I am coming quickly. Oh, a little reminder. You know, he tells us that three times in this chapter. I'm coming quickly. I'm coming quickly. When, Lord? Oh, I'm groaning. Oh, Lord, when? But when it unfolds, it's happening fast. And he says there, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. Reward? I thought the church was already rewarded. Remember, we were at the Bema seat of Christ. 
where we go through, we don't get judged for our sin. Why? Because it doesn't exist. You say, oh, yes, it does. I know myself. Well, I do too. In this fallen time frame in which we're in, this fallen fleshly body that we live in, we know we sin, but it's forgiven. It's forgotten forever. So what's left? Oh, the things that we did for the Lord with a pure heart, using the gifts and talents that the Lord gives us, and we use that to further his kingdom, guess what? If we did it with a pure heart and a pure motive to further his kingdom, Lord, do take my fallenness and make it something beautiful, and he did, guess what? We get rewarded for that, and that happened for us already at the Bema seat. We read about that. But in this time frame, guess what? There's followers and believers of the Lord that haven't been rewarded yet. They're not part of the church. Who would that be? Oh, our Old Testament brethren and sisters. They haven't gotten their reward yet. They were righteous. Noah was the only righteous one around. All of these Old Testament prophets and these Old Testament folks that gave their lives to the Lord and believed in the ways of Yahweh, they will be rewarded. What about the millennial saints, those who come to know the, the Lord in the millennium? Or what about the tribulation saints, those who come to know the Lord in that terrible time that we went through, chapters 6 through 19, that deals with God pouring out judgment on a Christ-rejecting world? There will be people there during that time that will come to know the Lord in vast numbers. Katie sang a song about revival. That time will come. Amazingly, the greatest revival of all human history will happen during the tribulation. They have not received their reward yet at this time. But Jesus says, I'm coming back quickly. And guess what? My reward is coming with me to those, everyone, according to his work. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. Who gets to be there? The people whose names are written in the Lamb Book of Life. You and me. We said, Lord, save me, like Peter did. And we cried out to a Lord, to a God. We cried out to Jesus because we knew he could save us and we knew, knew that he would save us. We understood and believed the work he did on the cross for us. And when you did that, you became his follower. You became a child of the king. And your name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And guess what? Guess who gets to go to the new city, the new heaven, the new earth, and be part of this whole thing we're talking about? That's us. But who doesn't? But outside are dogs and sorcerers, and sexually immoral, and murderers, idolaters, and whoever loves and practices a lie. Ooh, I find that last phrase very interesting, especially in the times in which we live. We're being bombarded by lies, and even the things that we see with our own eyes and we know that's a lie, we're still being told to believe it. It's our culture. It's where we've come. It's what happens when mankind is turned loose to do what he wants to do, righteous in his own eyes, without a God saying wrong 
and this is right, this is wrong, and this is how you live your life. When people throw that away and they do what they want, we see a culture in which we live. Very sad. Has to operate on lies. Jesus says in verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. And indeed, he will be very bright. No need for the sun in this new heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem. Verse 17, and the spirit and the bride say, come, and let him who hears say, come, and let him who uh, thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Oh, it's free for our taking. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, watch this, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. So if anyone out there is tempted to ah, ah, rewrite and take away some of the things in this book, you might want to go back and brush yourself up on chapters 6 through 19 and some of those terrible plagues that come upon man. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. Oh, we don't want that. We just read how amazing those things are, and I want to be part of it, and I will be. And I truly believe that you will be too with me. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. Yeah. We look so forward to that. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. What comforting, amazing words that would have been to the recipients of that day. Going through tremendous persecution, tremendous trial, heartache, sorrow, on levels that you and I will probably, let's be real, never experience. But none, nonetheless, as I mentioned earlier, our struggles are real to us, aren't they? We see family members who are in pain. We see family members who really just don't care about this stuff. Family, friends, those that we're in contact with, we work with, coworkers. And they're the ones that I spoke of earlier who going through life just thinking that this is just how it always is and I'm sure everything will just work itself out. It's a scary place to be. And you and I see that reality. And even though we as Christians have hope with each other, with each other we share that hope and what the Lord says in this book, our heart breaks for those who kind of just Push it aside. You want to see something cool? We just ended this awesome book, the New Testament. But how did the Old Testament end? Not the same. Malachi, 
chapter 4. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it. But the second half of verse 6, which is the very last verse of the Old Testament, says, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. And then no one heard from him for 400 years. Wow. Brutal. How did the New Testament end? Grace. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be upon you all. See, the Old Testament was the law. And you and I couldn't uphold the law. Not one, could we? In our flesh and in our fallen state. We couldn't uphold the law if we tried. Maybe one, if we're lucky. But not all the time. We repeatedly made the same mistakes over and over again. We repeatedly send the same stuff over and over again. And we needed this thing called grace. Because salvation cannot be earned. It is a gift from God. 